God, we're here today. We're so thankful that it's in your name that we have hope. No matter the troubles we face or the things we go through, we know that you are victorious. And, and Lord, I, I think I can speak for people when I say we long to experience that hope in our everyday and in our right now. So, Lord, as we take the time and we open our hearts to the truth of your word, we pray that it would speak to us louder than ever. We love you, Lord. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, as you're sitting down, high-five somebody around you. Tell them you look good. Some of y'all have been doing CrossFit. Amen, amen. Hey, it is so great to be with you this morning. Uh, my name is Pastor Nick Newman, and uh, I'm, it's a privilege and an honor to have the opportunity to lead this church. And I just want to say again, if it is your first time this morning, uh, we are honored and thankful that you chose to be here and allowed us to play a small part in a special day of celebrating moms on Mother's Day. We are excited that you're here and, and believe God has some incredible things in store for you. And uh, what I want to do first and foremost is, is, is just recognize that, man, moms, we're so thankful for you. Uh, literally, none of us would be here without you. And so, because that's how life works. And, uh, and so we're honored that you are here. And, and I want to give honor where honor is due to two moms. I want to honor uh, my mom, who has been an incredible demonstration of God's grace in my own life. And truthfully, I've been blessed with an incredible mother-in-law as well. And so I just want to say uh, thank you so much to those moms. Uh, Church, could you help me recognize and honor all moms here today? We're thankful for you and honored honored to get to celebrate with you. But but also want to, you know, just kind of do a little sidebar for a second, because I realize for some of you, um, Mother's Day is not a joyous celebration. Mother's Day is one of the most difficult days that you face. You, you maybe, uh, maybe have lost your mom, and so Mother's Day is a reminder of that. So it's actually a really painful day. Or maybe you've been trying to have kids for a long period of time and just simply can't have kids, and Mother's Day is a painful day for you. I want to say thank you for pushing through those emotions today and joining us here because I believe God still has a word that he wants to speak to you as well. And as we open God's word today, here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to give you five ways to be a great mom because I just don't feel like I can speak on that. (laughs) What I want to do is I want to open God's word with you and show you uh, a small passage of scripture where a guy named Paul indicates the impact that two women uh, have made on a young man's life. And so if you have a Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3 through 6, it's going to be available on the screen if you don't have a Bible. It says this, Timothy, I, I thank God for you. The God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did night and day, I pray consistently. I remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted. And I'll be filled with joy when we're together again. Paul's kicking off this letter to Timothy. And and what we need to understand is Paul's not writing this letter from a cozy villa on a white sandy beach. Paul is writing this letter. He's in chains. He's in prison. He's in uh, uh, the midst of incredible crisis. And Paul and Timothy were best friends. 
I think you and I need these kinds of friends who are going to be people who pray for us consistently, who are going to keep us in prayer. Paul has that. Timothy has that. These two men love each other. And as Paul is leaving Timothy, there's tears. There's emotions involved. There's a separation that's going to be taking place because Timothy knows his mentor is probably going to end up back in prison. Paul's been to jail more than on one occasion. Now, maybe not for the reasons you might think. Paul's been imprisoned for the cause of Jesus. And, and Timothy knows that with every time Paul goes to jail, he's beaten, he's persecuted. So he weeps. They have this great affection for one another. They love each other as great friends. And then it says in verse 5, Paul's talking about how he remembers Timothy. And he says, I remember your genuine faith. For you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I know that same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift of God that God gave you when I laid my hands on you. I want to talk to you for a few moments today about the legacy of a mother because what we see in this passage of scripture is this genuine faith that Paul remembers about Timothy didn't actually start in Timothy. It started in grandmother Lois and then mother Eunice. What we see in that moment is that there were two women who were iconic pillars of genuine faith in Timothy's life that laid the incredible foundation for what would go on to be some great works in the kingdom of God. And so I want to talk to you today about what we learned from Timothy's uh, grandmother and Timothy's mom, all about genuine faith. And the first thing is that genuine faith is public, not private. Right. I think sometimes we get really caught up in having private faith. And so we go, you know, my relationship with God is really just that. It's my relationship with God. And I don't have to really tell you about it because only God can judge me. And, you know, whatever. Like, <laughs> you know people like that, right? Like, they're like, oh, no, hold me accountable. Help me out. And then you bring something to the table and they're like, only God is my judge. <laughs> whatever. So faith is never intended to be this private thing, although you and I tend to make it private at times. I believe that if you want to be a mother or a parent that leaves a legacy of genuine faith for your children, you and I have to know that faith is public first and foremost rather than private. It goes back and we'll read 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 5 again. He says, I remember your genuine faith for your faith first filled your grandmother. This is what legacy looks like. It was in grandmother Lois. Grandmother passed it down to Timothy's mother, and Timothy's mother passed it down to her. It's faith that's public, not private. I think you and I at times take for granted the fact that people are watching us. And parents, what you probably know better than anyone is that your children are not only watching, your children are listening to what you have to say. I went to lunch with uh, some friends of ours several weeks ago, and it was a couple months ago. So we're out at lunch, and they have a young son. And as we're sitting at the table, and he, he's playing with anything he can find because that's what kids do at, at lunch. And he grabs a butter knife, and he stabs me. And so, <laughs> you know, and so look, I'm cool with it, right? It's okay. I've been stabbed before. Long, different story. So we're... <laughs> 
And so we're sitting at the table, and I look at him, and I said, hey, man, look, here's what you need to know. Friends don't stab friends. Now, look, I'm just saying that's really good advice. Because the people closest to you are going to be the people who make you the maddest sometimes, and you just need to remember that friends don't stab friends. (laughs) And so for the rest of that lunch, he would go on to say, friends don't stab friends. Friends don't stab friends. They're in the car ride on the way home. Friends don't stab friends. Two weeks later, in the car, friends don't stab friends. Your kids are listening. They're paying attention. They're kind of like parrots. Like, you might say something, they're going to echo it. (laughs) Because I think sometimes we take for granted the fact that you and I have a bigger platform of influence than we give ourselves credit for. Because you might not feel like a role model. You might not feel like people are actually watching you and the way you live your life, but they are. At every turn, people are looking. The moment you said, hey, I have placed my faith and hope in Jesus, it's, it probably is, is even further than that. The, the moment you use social media to check in that you've said, hey, I'm at church today, people are looking at how you respond to everyday life. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 says this, you are salt of the earth. And when he says salt, we know that salt is, is for a few things. One, salt adds flavor to things. In this time period, it was also used as a purification agent. And so when Jesus looks at him, he says, you are salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It it can. It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Jesus is saying, the flavor of God that people taste will come off of your life. In other words, as you live your life, as you conduct your life, the way people view God will be based on whatever you choose to give them. You are salt of the earth. It's not that some of you are. He looks at every follower of Jesus. It's one of those blanket statements and says, you, you're the way that the rest of the world gets to taste the goodness, the grace, and the mercy of God. And if you lose that, you've missed it. He continues on to say that you are the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden. He said, yeah, if you were a small little village on the edge of town, tucked away between some trees, that that can be hidden. But your house, the place that you dwell, that's on a hilltop. Everybody can see you. Then he goes on to talk about a lamp. He says, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they place it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your deed, your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. If you and I have access to this incredible light in the midst of an incredibly dark world, what would life look like if you and I, through the power of genuine faith, stopped letting our lives be private and started publicly declaring the goodness of Jesus? I think a dark world would become a lot brighter. Because light always shines best in darkness. It says that when you place a lamp on a stand, it gives light to everyone around. One of the other things that it shows me, and and then I'll move on, continue my notes, is that a lamp can't fulfill its intended purpose unless it is placed on a stand for others to see. You and I were made, handcrafted, and created in the image of God to glorify our Heavenly Father. It's what we read in Revelation in the very beginning. And you and I will never fulfill our intended purpose until we begin to shine our light for the one who gives light to us. 
don't underestimate your light because others can see it. Others are watching you. Parents, what type of faith are you currently modeling for your kids because they're watching and they're looking? The second thing I believe is that genuine faith believes God can do the impossible. I feel like I am, I'm a byproduct of a heavenly father who pursued me even though I turned my back on him. But I'm also a byproduct of a mother who prayed and believed in faith that God was able to break the chains and shackles of drug addiction off of my life. And I think what we need as people of genuine faith now more than ever is to believe that God can do the impossible in our everyday life. That no matter what we're going through currently, we believe that God is able and capable of continuing to do the miraculous in everything. It says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I wonder how often our faith becomes limited to our own comprehension. What Scripture says is that His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. If God can fit within the realm of your human comprehension, you don't have a big enough God. We serve a God who is able and capable of doing the impossible, but genuine faith is just that, believing God can do it. So if you find yourself up against something today that seems incredibly difficult, it seems impossible, it seems like there's no way it can happen, I believe you are at the perfect opportunity. You are at the right moment to experience a move of God like you've never experienced before. When you get to the place of, when you run to the end of your own human limitations, I believe you step into an opportunity for God's power to be made real in your life. That it would surpass your own comprehension, but that you would dwell, your faith would rest in the power of God. I believe that genuine faith is not about doing or working or striving. Genuine faith is about believing in God, trusting in Him. That in the midst of all things, He is able, able and capable of taking care of us. It's a relationship between us and God that begins by faith, is lived by faith, and ends with faith. It's that simple. Everything else that you do in life, such as good works and things like that, should flow out of the overflow of your love relationship with God. Genuine faith is faith that's not private. Faith that's public. And faith that believes that God can do the impossible. He continues on and he, he says this. He's talked about grandma. He's talked about mom and their faith. And then he says, and I know that same faith continues strong in you. As he says this, what, what I see the picture of is a marathon runner. And this race is being ran, but, but it's not a, a short race. It's not a quick sprint. It's a marathon where the baton is being passed. We see this genuine faith was passed from Lois to Eunice, now to Timothy. And Paul says, I know that same faith continues in you. I think one of the things we have to know this morning is that you will pass things on to the next generation. Right. You will pass things on. 
Whether good or bad, you and I are going to hand the baton off to someone else to continue running the race. And I think it's our responsibility as men and women of God to stand up and lean into the fact that our job is to focus on how to pass the baton better than we may have received it. Because here's what will happen. If you don't focus, if you spend your whole life only worried about your race, you'll be... You'll get so frustrated at the fact that people aren't carrying in the next generation what you never passed them in yours. I'm going to say it again because some of y'all didn't get it. Some of y'all are so mad at the way millennials and the next generation functions and operates, but it's because you didn't pass them the baton well. And you can't fix that now. What you can do is start today, realizing that you have to pass the baton to somebody. In in this race, you're not just running by yourself. And as I'm running my race and I'm looking, I'm I'm looking currently to pass the baton to my future children. That the race that they run is better than the one that I've ran. I want to do everything I can in my power to ensure that, that when they get the baton, it's a smooth transition. That they're able to love God and serve God better than I was ever able to do. And then they can pass it to their kids, and they can pass it to their kids and their kids. That's what legacy looks like. That's leaving this world better than we found it. That's making a difference in the kingdom of God. But so often, I think you and I get hung up on harvest that we forget sowing. So we get so focused on the end result. We get so focused on making sure that I've got everything that I want, not need, want in this life. And if I work hard enough, I'm going to set myself up for success. The best thing you can do is focus on the generations to come. Jesus says it like this. There are going to be some people who reap where they do not sow. What if God's design for your life and my life was never to focus on harvest, but always be focused on sowing? Because here's the end result of sowing, harvest. You can't harvest what you don't plant. So as you plant, as you sow, as you invest into the kingdom of God, as you work on passing the baton to the next generation and you focus on developing, and here's the word that Jesus uses, discipling people. As you focus on training people up in the ways of the Lord and raising your children to love God, honor God, and serve God, as you focus on those things, you'll experience great harvest, but your children will get to reap a harvest of what you sowed into their life. Passing things on to the next generation is so important. I sat down with Billy Hornsby, who is the founder of the ARC, which is the church planting network that we're a part of it. I sat down with Billy right before he passed away and we were talking and, and I said, Billy, you know, you've been doing this for like a hundred years. Um, and, uh, and, and so I need some advice, man. Like I'm a young guy in ministry. I want to, I want to make it. I want to run my race with endurance, but, but, but I, I want to do this thing. Well, what advice do you give me? And I thought Billy was going to give me like this great, man, here's four ways to grow your church. He was a super practical guy, but He looked at me and he said, Nick, the success of your life will not be based on what you do, but by those you empower. And I realized as I was sitting in that conversation that if I spend the rest of my life focusing on just what I do, I'll miss it. 
If I focus on empowering and sowing and investing in to the generations to come, that's when the kingdom of God advances forward and we really make a difference. But the truth about passing the baton is you will only pass what you're currently holding, which I think causes you and I to do a self-inventory for a moment. Paul says we throw off every weight and every sin that so easily entangles us so that we might run the race with endurance. I want to make sure that I make a difference on this earth by leaving it better and passing the baton to the next generation better than I currently received it. And the best thing I can do right now is figure out what I'm carrying and what I don't need to be carrying so that I can throw those off and run my race well. Then he goes on in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. He says, and this is why. So, so your faith of your grandmother, your mother, it continues strong in you. And now I want to remind you to fan into flame the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. The last thing that I want you to write in your notes is build on whatever you've been passed Build on whatever you've been passed. So we talked about a race, we talked about a marathon, we talked about passing the baton. For some of you, you're frustrated when you hear that because no one passed you a baton well. And so you're mad and you're frustrated, like, I didn't have those people of faith in my life. I didn't have those people who invested in me, who, who chose to, to pour into me and give me faith, to share faith with me. I didn't have those kind of people. And you can stay frustrated or you can build on whatever foundation you've been passed. Like, like no one can fix the foundation you've been given. But here's what you can do today. You can start building on it. You can start building on whatever you've been passed to run your race with endurance to pass off better than what you've received. Paul says, I want to remind you to fan into flames whatever you've been given, the spiritual gift that was given to you. And as he does it, I think he, he gives this illustration of a flame that is really powerful. It's, it's a lot like a campfire. And if you've ever been camping, you, you know, you, you build your own fire and you go and you collect the sticks and and whatever else you need for a fire. <laughs> and, you, and so you build the fire and you get it lit and, and this thing starts burning and you throw some sticks on it and it's, it's burning really big. If you have teenage boys, you have to yell at them like, stop building the fire because you're going to burn the house down. This flame is huge. It's enormous. You have some s'mores. You have some hot dogs. You... You wrap up whatever you're doing for the night and you go into your tent, you, you go sleeping. And, and when you wake up the next morning, that fire that was really big and really bright has slowly but surely diminished and it's dwindled. And there's no big flame anymore. The only thing that's really left are these embers inside of the fire pit. And when Paul says fan into flame, what he's saying is, Timothy, you need to know if, you've, if you're going to run this race, if you're going to do this, you're going to get tired. Like when you look at a flame that's slowly been dwindling out, for some of you, that's an accurate depiction of the current condition of your relationship with God. Like over a period of time through life circumstances and situations, it's just been slowly but surely dwindling down. And the flame that started so big has now become just an ember. And Paul says, 
than fan into flame. Because everything an ember needs to become a fire is already within it. It just simply needs a fresh breath of air. And when Paul says fan into flame, I think he's saying, Timothy, when you get tired, when you get exhausted, let God breathe fresh air back into you. So that once, what was once burning so bright can be reignited again. And I think for some of us in here today, that's the whole reason why you're here. Is because over a period of time, over life circumstances and situations, the flame of your relationship with God has slowly dwindled. Like you gave your life to Jesus and you were pumped and you were excited. You joined a group, you started serving, you started reading your Bible, you opened up God's word every day and you're like, God, thank you so much for saving me. This is incredible. I'm, I'm never going to be the same. And then life started happening and then you were like, well, you know what? Yeah, life, it's just a busy season right now. And so well, I don't really have time to spend time with you, God, like, like, here's what I'll do, God. I, I can't figure out how to fit you into my schedule, so I'll give you my drive time. I'll, I'll give you the five minutes before I go to bed, and, and then slowly but surely, the flame, the passion, the desire of your spiritual growth just kind of dwindled. And now you're sitting there, and you're, you're not looking at this big, beautiful flame. You're looking at something that's a lot like an ember. I think you're here today because God wants to breathe a fresh breath of wind into you. To reignite those things that have gone dormant and gone dark. And through simply allowing God to breathe fresh air into you today, I believe your passion can come back. I believe your zeal, your tenacity, your love for your Heavenly Father can be rekindled and reignited here today. So will you do me a favor? Will you stand to your feet for just a moment? Maybe today that, that's you. The passion, the fire in your relationship with God has slowly but surely dwindled. With every head bowed, every eye closed for a moment, if you'd say, hey, pastor, I'm not as passionate as I once was. I'm trying to figure this whole thing with God out, but I know there's more. And I want God to breathe a fresh breath of air into my walk with him. If you'd say, that's me, would you just lift your hand for a moment? Say, I want more, God. I see those all around the room. I'm going to pray for you. Father, right now I pray through the power of your spirit that you would send a fresh breath of wind through this place. That, Father, people's passion, tenacity, desire would rise up within them like an ember that's experienced a fresh, fresh breath of oxygen. Lord, we pray that our passion for you would grow, that our desire for you would grow, and that our lives would never be the same. And for some of you, the fire in your life is not there because it's never been ignited. You've been wondering and longing and looking for, why don't I have passion? Why do I still feel empty inside? And the truth is, 
It's because you've never made the decision to take the next step and surrender your life to Jesus. See, you and I were handcrafted and made and created in the image of God to worship Him. But because of sin, we're separated from God. The beautiful part of the good news of Jesus is that God would send His Son, Jesus, to die in our place so that in Him, the light could be ignited. You can have passion. You can have purpose. You can have fulfillment. But the best thing is that you can be saved from the power and bondage of your sin. And if you're here today and you say, hey, I know that I don't have a relationship with God and and I need to begin one. Would you just lift your hand for a moment and boldly declare that? I see those. see those. Here's what we're going to do, church. No one prays alone. We're all going to pray together. Will you say this with me? Dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I place my hope and trust in you. Thank you for dying in my place so that I can have new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church. Put your hands together and help me celebrate with those who made decisions this morning. Come on. We're going to continue in worship for a moment, and then we're going to have some announcements and some child dedication, and I'm so excited for what's ahead. But over the next couple of minutes, here's what I want you to do. I I want you to just focus on your relationship with God. Allow Him to breathe fresh wind into the embers of your life so that a fire for Him could burn brighter than ever. Let's worship.